0: the aftershock (laughs) here we are another disappointing uh result for the earthquakes four to one uh loss to fc dallas on the road guys um actually i was gonna say starting the show the quakes are at the very bottom of the table but they're not because um sporting kansas city who is a pathetic team as well they conceded at the death to drew uc the top scorer in the league so for now the quakes don't have the wooden spoon uh, and yet they have 24 points in 25 games. Incredibly disappointing results for the team throughout the season. Alex, are you still optimistic? Do you still think that there's a, a chance for this? I'm interested to hear what you have to say in call, and I'm also here, interested to hear your uh, your thoughts regarding the team, especially with the 538 analysis that you provided last week.
1: Uh, <laughs> Yo,
2: <laughs> Alex, you up first, big guy.
1: Yo, I am 100% optimistic <laughs> that Jeremy Bobasi can be the top scorer in, in Major League Soccer this season, and I think that should be... San Jose's number one priority for the rest of this season. I think he should be on every penalty. I think he should be on every free kick because he reached 14 goals this season. He's he's only trailing uh, the, the the top by a few goals. And I think that if you start putting him on those set pieces, he can easily get there. Now about the team, no, I am not optimistic. I think that they probably uh, did, watched a little too much uh, Manchester United game tape in in preparation uh, for this one because this was uh, probably the worst San Jose performance that I've seen uh, this season. It was the first time they lost to FC Dallas since 2016. uh, And they were. flat. It is. It's remarkably true, Colin. The (laughs) records are falling um, one by one, but uh, yeah, they were flat right from the get go and they played with zero hustle, zero heart. And and that made me concerned about the, uh, the state of this locker room because it seemed like they lacked leadership out there. Uh, and it seemed like they lacked heart and you could started to see some of the frustration uh, on the field. And, and it's not sustainable, uh, for the quakes to keep losing. This is their sixth match without a win. It's not sustainable, uh, for this team to keep losing, uh, and cause the players are going to want more. They're, they're not stupid. That's what I said on last week's show. They know they should be doing better than this.
2: Um, well, uh, the chat, I know you guys feed on conflict. So I'll just, I'll just contradict what Alex said. No, not about the overall performance, which is dead. Right. Um, I actually do think they can sustain losing and should sustain more losing. And what I mean by that, I think Alex knows what I, I, where I'm going with this, or at least he'll follow it in a second, is the thing that's, look, long-time followers of the show remember that as soon as Almeida was let go, they had three points from tw- their first 21 available. And I said, this season is a write-off. And, what I, and it should be a write-off. Aim for the wooden spoon, play the kids, develop, look for next year. Then a couple weeks ago, I said the 538 percentage about the getting in the playoffs is about 4%. It's a write off. It's time. Then it crawled down to two uh, or three, then to two. And I'm sure it's going to be one or you, know, or, you know, under one at this point. Um, it's time to, to lose this season to write it off um unfortunately uh, in the race for the wooden spoon you have skc is, is a good step behind them technically dc united also has fewer points although they have played fewer games and i think they have less reason to lose uh, than the other ones and you have an expansion team coming in next year so it's very possible the quakes end up with the fourth pick in the in the draft which by the way it's not just the fourth pick in the super draft for the college kids it's actually also the fourth pick in the allocation draft it's also the fourth pick uh in the allocation order etc so you know, they're not necessarily going to get number one, but that's one thing to aspire for. The other thing to aspire for is, as the way I described it the other day is, you know, they need to tell Alex Cavello it's not his job and then tell him that his job is to prepare the team for 2023. Uh, and that means more playing of the kids, less playing of people who will not be around. Um, you know, Eric Rometty and Judson both have their, I believe this is their option year. Uh, and therefore uh, next season, they're not under contract let they're him gone. go, you know, right, they're gone. Exactly.
1: Judson was was playing like like a man who who knows he's out the door. He for was, sure. was absolutely awful. Today. But I'm, but I'm just saying back.
2: like, if it's more about a contractual situation. If he was under contract for 2023, that's one thing. But the fact that they're both out of contract at the end of the year, at least the team can separate at the end of the year, that means, you know, you're allowed to make that separation. So, but Cavelo is not going to do that. If you're telling him to win games today, he's going to you know, play whoever his most experienced trusted hands are. Um, and by the way, play the kids isn't universally always, you know, it's not just as easy as they play the youngest person on your roster. Game time actually can be damaging for the development of a player for various reasons. It can hurt their confidence or it can do the opposite. You know, it can be like Kay Cowell last year got gassed up by an MLS all-star appearance and that clearly, you know, was not good for his overall development either. Um, so you do have to trust the coach to know what's right for a player's development, but you do have to tell Cabello it's not going to be your job. Your job is to develop the guys we have on the roster. So, yeah, we need to sustain m- more losing. I think that in some ways, this team appears to have held on too long to the false hope that this season could amount to anything.
1: So, Colin, Colin, what would you have read? 5-1, 6-1, 7-1? Where does it stop? Where is enough losing for you tonight?
2: Uh, no, absolutely. If if, if Nico Chakaris had started the game, you know, uh, and Oseni Buda had played 30 minutes and it was 5-1 versus 4-1, yeah, I'll take that every day of the week.
0: Yeah, zero points to zero points, Alex. That's kind of where I'm at. You know, the the thing that's really disappointing, though, is that you're you're seeing the same mistakes over and over again. You're seeing the same disappointing tactics from the team over and over again. I mean, that first goal that was allowed at the very beginning of the match, like, if you go back and watch that, it took five seconds from the moment. The shortest person on the field won the ball off the J.T. Marcinkowski distribution to the moment that they put the ball into the back of the net. And that is just going to show once again that the Quakes are so vulnerable in those those uh, situations, right? They're very so good at possessing you the ball.
2: Wrong, it was Tommy Thompson he won that aerial duel with, right? What's up? It was Tommy Thompson he won that aerial duel off of, right? It was, yeah.
0: It was. So that's I mean, Not
2: too fine of a line under it.
0: Yeah. You know said. And yet it happened and so you know there's that but regardless they score five seconds off the you know off the turnover um quakes had going into the the end of the first half over 60 percent possession of the ball i mean once again it's the quakes holding on to the ball the other teams are just sitting back and waiting for their moment their winning possession and scoring and we saw that happen multiple times here and you know what actually dallas was able to find other creative ways to score on the quakes but that's really what it was for them and Another thing for the Quakes, too, is opportunities on set pieces being really the only dimension other than, like, you know, shots from way outside the box from Paul Marie and an absolute also tonight from Jeremy Abubasi. Uh, We're not really seeing a very high expected goals for this team because it really is just on the set pieces where they're scoring. I think coming into tonight, they were one of the teams that had a higher number of set piece goals in MLS, but really that's what the Quakes are relying on quite a bit. So considering the, what's going on tactically with the team, uh, how they are, you know, unable to take advantage of having the the possession most of the game. I'm curious here, Colin, what direction, other than if we don't see some of the younger players be brought in by cavello or whoever else is going to be coaching the team. I mean, what really is the solution here for the Quakes moving forward for the rest of the season?
2: uh th- the, the idea of systems and tactics is I think an interesting place to dwell. And as I always say, I'm not a tactical guy to the extent that I style myself an expert at all. It's just on the, on the rosters and salary stuff. Uh, but there isn't actually an intersection point here, which is y- you really do the, the, the front office and the general manager really do have to be aligned with the coach and vice versa. And they have to be rowing in the same direction. So if you have a coach who plays a particular way, um, you have to buy players that fit that particular system. Uh, they is, you know, given that obviously they shifted from one coach to another this season, there's going to be some players that make more sense with Cabello than Almeida. Uh, and then God knows what the next step is going to look like either. But it's something that concerns me. Um, you know, Benji Kikanovich is, is awesome. And tonight we saw when he was in the box, you're like, oh, man, like I would love to see him get more time as a true number nine. But then also one of the best players on the team is also a true number nine in Jeremy Ibovesi. Uh, You have Montero really has to be a 10 rather than out wide left. Uh, there's nobody play out wide left. So you're going to have to shoehorn somebody out there. Um, the, you know, one solution to this problem is something that I said before the season is like, go move to three at the back and, and have Christian Espinosa be in the right wing back and Marcos Lopez being the left wing back. You know, that might've been an interesting idea, but it's not how they constructed the team. You need to fill in a lot of other pieces to make all that work. Um, so I think that with what they have, a four three three 3 3 is how they've constructed the roster. So it's up to a coach to kind of, kind of work with that. You can't radically re- uh, work against the construction of the roster uh, in order to make it better. So either they have to continue adding pieces and hope that they can continue to string together enough good decisions to make the roster full enough to do that, uh, which I think is more than possible, uh, or they have to decide on a different tactical direction once they learn who their new coach is going to be uh, and and give that a shot. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a Spurs fan in, in a different part of my life Antonio Conte had a very different idea of how he wanted to play than the previous, the managers that preceded him. He's a three, uh, well, it's, it's a three, four, three with, with Spurs. He's also done a three, five, two. Um, and they, he had very particular requirements about what types of players he wanted for what types of roles. Uh, and the, then that team can go out and spend the money to go get those players. San Jose probably doesn't have the luxury of being able to build a system in that way. And most MLS teams that are successful don't, build that way. Um, But yeah, there needs to be some coherence between uh, the on pitch product and the thinking in in the front office. There has been under the last year of Chris Leach, a general um, coherence perhaps, but it's only been a year uh, and it's been under two different coaches and the second one's an interim. So we're about to get a third different coach. So they need to settle into a system or they need to settle into a long-term vision and buy players who fit that vision. Buying Acapo and Rodriguez in this window indicates that they want to stick with that four at the back system and that's fine but they need to continue adding to that.
0: Right, and you know what I was thinking about when you were mentioning having the possible wing back system and the three center backs is really if you look at the team right now who is most successful who's showing the most, you know, out on the pitch of anybody else it really is the forwards, right? So like considering getting them involved in more places on the on the pitch might be a benefit in some way. I'm thinking, you know, Christian Espinoza over on the right wing, possible right wing back. And Benji Kakanovich, you already mentioned, is showing to be one of the better, more talented, most exciting players to watch on the team right now. And then, of course, Jeremy Obobese, who's just continuing to bang in goals regardless of how the Quakes are playing, right? Um, Alex, I am curious about your thoughts on the tactical approach that Alex Cavello is taking and whether there is room for some change, um, you know, given what the team has and whether it is just throwing the young guys in there, as Colin already mentioned.
1: I, I don't think tactically it, it even matters how San Jose sets up at this point because they're going to ship three or four goals either way. When you have a back line with Tommy Thompson, Nathan, Tanner Beeson, and and Paul Marie. I mean, you can get a Quakes bingo card at this point. Nathan's going to make uh, a, a rash challenge and get caught out. Tommy Thompson's going to get smoked on the right wing. Uh, the Quakes don't have the personnel to be able to, to compete uh, in, in the defense. Uh, and, you know, that, that might change when, when Rodriguez uh, is available, uh, when, when he his visa processes. First of all, both uh, Acapo and, and, and Rodriguez are still waiting for their visas to clear, so they're not available yet. Uh, Acapo also has a, a foot injury, so it's unlikely he'll make any real impact this season. But Rodriguez reasonably might. Uh, so at that point, when Rodriguez gets here, uh, then you, you might be able to start having a different conversation. But at this point, the defense doesn't have the, the personnel to compete. And it is just a matter of putting on the young kids and preparing uh, for, for next season. And I was really frustrated today uh, with the lack of, of halftime substitutions because the Quakes were down big. Uh, and uh, you saw guys in the midfield, guys like Judson, guys like Jackson Ewell, who looked like they'd given up. And who weren't adding any value to the team. I think that was a perfect situation to bring on a, a lot of the young players. But uh, Alex Cabello waits, I think, too long uh, to make those decisions. And uh, it feels like they're, they're still holding on to something this season that they need to let go of. Because uh, it, it, it needs to be focused on, on building around those young players at, at this point in the season.
0: No, I totally agree. I think one of the other elements that we haven't really discussed a lot is where the leadership is coming from in the team as well. Um, to me, it seems like when you have players like Nathan, that could be one person who can really provide that for the team. But it hasn't been Nathan. If you look at the moments in which FC Dallas scored in this match, Alex, you already kind of alluded to the instance in which Jutsen wasn't able to track back in time after Nathan made a really rash challenge on Jesus Ferreira, and then they were completely dusted there. There's also the instance in which uh, Jesus Ferreira scored his first goal, and Nathan was kind of caught in no man's land, right? Or, there was that instance, but there was also the goal that came off the left flank as
1: well. You know, it um, happened like five times. Every he, single counter attack, San yeah, Jose I'm was not like, tracking back.
0: Again and again and again. Um, but the, the instance that is really like sticking in my mind right now was the goal from their left back, and, uh, with Farfan, right? And that was an instance in which you had an opportunity for a player either to commit to their zone marking, which is actually what Jutson did, or you have what Nathan did, which was continue to commit to the zone marking, even though he could have stepped up and closed that gap on, on Farfan as he stepped up and scored on the near post, which is really like never how you want to allow a goal, right? It's, it's an opportunity for the team to really lock down their opposing team and to prevent them from scoring. So. Nathan, really, if you go back and watch the footage, he gets caught in no man's line. He doesn't step up. He doesn't even cross the, or cover the near post. And he allows the left back to come in and score right past JT Marcinkowski. So, like, for me, once again, I think the leadership here, like, somebody has to call out the positioning. Somebody has to be there to say, let's ensure that we have mm-hmm. these parts zonally marked properly and that nobody is caught in no man's land. Because Nathan, in that moment... Was doing nothing for the team basically. It wasn't a positive, it wasn't a negative, it was just neutral. He was a traffic cone in that moment and he just got blown by and JT Marskinkowski, you know, was left. We on. haven't
1: we haven't used that traffic cone metaphor in a couple of years. It's 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 been, been two, three years since the the black and azul days that we've we've compared players to traffic cones. But look, you're hundred percent right, Phil. Nathan uh is getting caught out on every single counterattack and uh he's not doing good enough. And I think he is making himself a strong candidate to be replaced by Rodriguez. I think most likely we'll see Rodriguez slide in alongside Tanner Beeson and replace Nathan. But, but my, uh, my biggest concern is Jackson Ewell. And I think uh, some of the, the folks in the comments have already picked up on this. Jackson Ewell is the captain. He has the captain's armband. he needs to be the one holding this team accountable, rallying the troops uh, and, and leading by example. And he's not doing that. He does not have a strong presence on the field, as, as Ben Perez says, uh, and he, he doesn't have, have command. Uh, and, and yeah, I'm seeing from Lance here as well. Ewell is no captain. Making him captain is an easy excuse to keep him on the pitch. I think that's absolutely right. I think Jackson Ewell should not have a guaranteed spot in the starting lineup. And I think that uh, Alex Cavello should seriously consider starting Nico Shakiris Because Nico Shakiris if he has one thing, he has hustle. He has hustle and he's willing to, to get after players and to press and to work hard. And I respect that. And, and I don't think Jackson Ewell is, is doing that on the field right now. Uh, and, and that's a problem because as you say, Phil, this team is lacking leadership. Jeremy Abobasi really looks like the only guy who cares and he leads by example, but he's not going to be a guy who's yelling at people who, who's, uh, who's shouting them down and, and, and telling them off when they're not working hard enough. He's not going to be that kind of Chris Wondolowski type leader. That's who the Quakes need right now, and and they don't have it on the field. and And what's concerning to me is that this creates a situation in which this locker room just falls apart. When you have players who very clearly aren't putting enough work and aren't trying, guys like Judson, who are kind of mailing it in because they're on their way out. When you have, uh, you know, players who are who are you know getting caught out repeatedly and making the same errors repeatedly, like Nathan, uh, and and then you ha- put them in alongside guys who really do care like Jeremy Abobasi, who are trying to make the most of this season uh, and who have, uh, you know, bright careers ahead of them. When you put that together, it's just creating a recipe uh, for disaster and and for confrontation uh, and for discontent. Uh, And I I think we started to see that right now, and and I think that we might see that more without real leaders on this team.
0: And I'm curious, Colin, what your thoughts are on this as well, given, you know, as Alex mentioned, we're not seeing much from Jackson Yule here. We can see the, the, some of the veteran players who are on the, the midfield and the back line. We're not getting a lot of it there either. Um, where's the leadership going to come from in this team, considering Chris Wondolowski is not the, out there on the pitch with them anymore?
2: I mean, I think, I think this whole captain's armband discussion that it comes up all the time, and I think fans focus on it deeply, it does not matter. Um, it's, in Italy, they hand the captain's armband to the oldest player on the field. Um, And it's just fine there. Leadership uh, is something that is more organic than that. And it's something that in good cultures and good locker rooms um, fuse on uh, on a lot more than just one individual strong leader barking orders. And quite frankly, it's not Jackson Ewell's responsibility to get everybody to be rowing in the same direction on the pitch and to be correcting tactical mistakes. It's the coach's job. Uh, and of course, when you have an interim coach, that coach does not have a lot of authority and a lot of sway with players because they know that that person's leaving is probably one of the reasons Chris Leach has been hesitant to specifically declare that he's not the guy. I get that, you know, that that does undermine your ability to win games in the current day. Um, so for me, what, leadership is something that starts, you know, from the top of the organization about setting the overall trajectory. And by the way, that actually escalates all the way to John Fisher. Um, but then it specifically sits with Chris Leach. It then goes to the coach and then, then the highest ranking player is some distance below that. So to me, we're, and then by the way, winning creates good culture, right? Everyone, everyone talks about like, oh man, it's a really strong locker room. That's why they're winning. It's usually the other way around. It's usually when you're winning, you get a strong locker room because everybody likes each other. Everybody's getting what they want. Um, so I, I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot there, like say, handing the armband to a different player is, is, is way down on the list for me of things that change the culture uh, around the team. Um, so anyway, I, I think, yes, I think that there's a there's a problem that you need. Look, Matias Almeida yeah. was a strong leader in the sense of getting a lot of uh, getting people to Colin, listen I to think, him. Right, I think evening. we have to head the presser to here. Today oh, fair enough. After there we go. Yeah.
3: One defeat right. to FC Dallas. We're now joined all by interim head coach Alex Corrello. Um So let's go to questions, starting with the first by Jamin Wong.
4: Unmuted.
5: Well, think that in the in the almost first second minute uh, we commit a we commit a mistake, and then Dallas is uh, with advantage. Um, is a field. Where we knew that Dallas uh, is a team that defends well the boxes, that we need need to have patience, you know. And after, after that, that we, we were dealing well, even if they score uh, one goal from there, from from that situation, um, the second the second goal comes. I think that is from our right side, and they move uh, Tommy and make the run, and uh, is a Daxson is very is very close. To the player with ball and, and the ball was central, I think. Um then it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to play against Dallas. Um, the second one is a pressure where we don't arrive at the right moment and, and, and they find the, the combination. And, and our center back jumps, maybe step when doesn't have to because it's an open ball. And even like that, at the end they have that, that rebound that, that uh, they can score. And then it's difficult. Then it's difficult. But I saw. Uh, the substitutions. I saw the players trying to to go for, trying to attack Dallas. Obviously, Dallas was closed. It was uh, controlling the game defensively. They defend well. What we tried to do, and, and that's it. That's the history. Difficult game. Thank you. Uh, next up,
3: Alex Morgan.
1: Hi, Alex. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hey, it felt like the the. Uh, team showed a lot of frustration on on the field tonight. Uh, and I'm curious if, uh, you know, you think more players need to step up and show more leadership and, and more accountability uh, when things are, are going wrong uh, and if, you know, the, the sort of attitude in the locker room is concerning you right now.
5: No, I think that, um, well, there's two things. One is the frustration, obviously, when you are trying to... To play the games to win, understanding that we have we have that that hope, you know, until mathematically it's not is not possible. The team is going to to fight for sure. And then um, happened what happened in the second minute. Uh, it's normal, you know. It's uh, it's difficult, but even like that, um, we were trying to do our game. We were trying. We knew that we knew that uh, Dallas was a team that was very narrow. We had to to circulate and, and find the our fullbacks a little bit higher on the pitch because uh, they protect very well the, the central area um and then the second goal happened is difficult so there has been a lot of um, a lot of mistakes during the season that uh, penalize us i think that um even if you don't see i think that we have uh, some leadership here in the local room And they talk when they have to talk. You know, right now with the players.
3: Let's quickly go back to Jimmy Moore and
5: take a second question. Unmuted. Thanks
3: for taking a second question, Coach. Um, right now it just it comes across from an appearance side that there are players out there who are putting in a higher amount of effort. Who care a lot more about getting this team fixed. And there are others that just from appearances. Or okay, yeah, more. I,
5: I understand the last part. Uh, there
3: are there are players out there on you know on the field right now that look like they very much care. There are others that tonight felt like they weren't as engaged you know in the game. Um, is it time to start taking a serious look at bringing on some of the youth? Uh, to be able to get more time and get more out of the season and, and get them prepared for next year? Muted.
5: Well, um, well we, we knew that the the players that they have been playing, they have they have a lot of minutes in their legs, you know, and, and there was a moment that we need to try to be a little bit also more more compact. That's why we, we made that sus- those substitutions in the middle. Uh, we gave the opportunity to Jack to play as a fullback. The other day he played, uh, I think, in the last 10 minutes. Um, Nico again, um, but I think that we need to find the balance between between to provide opportunities to the young players and, 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 and take out the, the players with experience that they can help us. I think that was a matter also of, of, of tired legs or heavy legs. And we'll also take a
3: second question from Alex.
1: Yeah, thanks for taking another question, out. Um, yes, do you think that there's anything you can do tactically to switch things up to protect this back line because they're allowing you know three to four goals a game. and And after the you know the 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 sale of, of Marcos Lopez and, and Francisco Calvo, you know just having a lack of depth back there, uh, you know what are you trying to do to to make up for that you know sort of loss in there?
5: Well, I, I, we are trying to find a balance, Alex. I think that uh, you see our uh, front players. They are players that they are aggressive, uh, press, you know, and and at the same time um, trying to be a little more compact. Obviously, is difficult. And uh, we saw so I think that the third goal is, is a moment that we jump or we step uh, to the pressure where maybe when maybe we didn't have to. And then that that's the little thing that technically maybe we can correct but at the same time if you are a little bit more, more lower you no, know, and um, the pressure is not going to happen and uh, we are a team that uh, we score. i think uh, a lot of goals from transition but uh, those situations technically is something that we need to we need to correct when to stay we're not going we to cover the space or that and in relation with individual players um, Right now, it's uh, something what we need to deal. Uh, we tried Jack Skahan, giving some rest to to Tommy Thompson in the second half. Um, I think that he uh, quite good. So, yeah. Trying to find solutions. Good question.
3: Thank you. We're gonna take one question in Spanish, and this will be the final question. Esta pregunta viene <inaudible> de Maxi Cordero de Telemundo 28. La pregunta: Profe, hemos conversado en varias ocasiones de lo compleja que es esta transición en un momento donde la victoria no llega tras un par de semanas. ¿Qué mensaje se le puede dar al aficionado que tal vez no comprende exactamente todo lo que pasa en el grupo, en el vestuario, a través de esa transición?
5: Bueno, el mensaje que se le, que se le puede dar es intentarle leer línea lo que el club está tratando de, de hacer. Estamos intentando, eh, tratando de ganar partidos, el estar lo, lo, lo mejor posible en la clasificación y a la vez entender que viene un, un momento, un, un cambio ¿no? en el club, eh, Esos cambios, esos momentos de transición nunca son fáciles. Creo que, que con las salidas y lo que tenemos ahora, los chicos están dando todo lo que pueden y estoy eh, seguro que podemos ganar más de uno, de dos o de tres partidos aquí al final de temporada. temporada.
3: Perfecto. Gracias, Alex, por your tiempo Thank gracias a todos por questions.
0: preguntas. Vamos a traer a Player Shortly. Wow. Jamin, welcome to the show. Uh... Press questions. I'm going back to
3: producing. It's the only way I can be heard in these press <laughs> yeah. right.
0: Well, I'm glad you were able to pop in. Hey, I, uh, some really great questions, you guys. I, I, I really appreciated, Alex, the one you asked at the end about what tactical changes are, are possible given what's what the team already has defensively. Uh, one thing that I didn't mention that I, I wanted to mention at the beginning of the show is the Earthquakes have conceded more goals than any other team in MLS right now. They've conceded 53 goals, which is... That's a lot, <laughs> just considering like the history of the league and everything. Like 53 goals is quite a bit. But looking at the tactical changes here, and it was a really good follow-up question actually to Jamin's question previously because he was asking about putting the young players in, and it was kind of sounding like Alex Covello was hinting at the fact that he's still looking at this from a tactical approach and not necessarily just throwing the young guys in there, as Colin kind of suggested before. So, Alex, I'm just interested in your response to what Alex Covello had to say in the press conference. Okay
1: look I, I I think he's right in that uh, if the quakes uh, you know are, are moving the ball faster and if the quakes are you know not making errors at the back then they can try to minimize these these defensive issues but at this point it's it's really just about mitigation and I don't think that there's anything they can do to really uh, you know change the paradigm or, or flip the script on this season uh, and and uh, really the, the the thing tactically that will shake things up and, and will change this team uh, is is a new coach. I mean, uh, I, I don't think that the Quakes can really uh, prepare, uh, you know, and, and rebuild. Right, I think you're to until we they are get now that. joined by
3: midfielder Jack Cahan. Um So let's go ahead and begin with a question from Alex. Hi, Jack.
1: Uh, thank <laughs> you for joining us tonight. It's it's good to talk to you. Uh, what is the mood right now like in the locker room, uh, I, it seemed like some of the guys were frustrated on the field. Uh, and I, I'm curious if that, you know, causes any tension. Uh, obviously, it's, it's tough to handle after a loss. But, uh, you know, what the mood is and, and how players are, are responding to this loss and taking accountability. Um, yeah, it's
4: obviously a frustrated locker room. Um, you know, everyone on this team has played for a long time, has won a lot of games and has lost a lot of games. Um, and knows um, the good and the bad that they did in the game tonight. Um, so obviously people are frustrated, but to be honest, what really goes on in the locker room will we'll stay in the locker room.
3: Thank you. Uh, next up, Damon Moore.
1: Unmuted.
3: Hey, Jack. Thanks for taking time. Good to talk to you again. Uh, you know, you've been a part of, you know, many successful teams in the past. Your college career and i'm sure in your your club soccer as well leading up to this you know what do you think is is the difference in a locker room that has a winning culture compared to where this team is at right now what would need to change for this team to really adopt a winning culture into the into its organization thank you
1: muted
4: i don't know the answer to that i don't have any experience on a, a winning team or a winning Uh, of a top, top team in this league. So I don't really know in this league what that takes. I do know my experience um, in a league that isn't college. I mean, isn't professional. That um, culture has to be ingrained in every single person. Um, The culture of winning and habits of winning. Um, And that's that's a daily thing. And to be honest with you, this team has a lot of it. Um, has a lot of really good habits.
3: Um, yeah. uh, we can go ahead and take a second. Uh, going back to Alex Morgan.
1: Hey Jack, thanks for taking another question here. Uh, you know, can you talk about uh, you know in the midfield uh, and and when you're getting subbed on? Uh, especially stepping in at, at right back, uh, what you're what you're looking to add, uh, and and at that stage in the game, what the directions are from from Alex Cavalo.
4: Yeah, so uh, right back, um, it's to attack, uh, obviously defend. Um, a lot of defending is running, but to attack um, on the outside and to move into the inside. And to combine in the middle. Um, and we were losing when I went in. So the directions were to attack and try to help the team score as many goals
3: as possible. And we'll wrap up with one more question from Jim Moore.
1: Unmuted.
3: Hey, Jack. So at this point in the season, I mean, the team is very close to being mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. I mean, I think a lot of us would like to see some of the players like yourself getting a lot more time out there, like at this point, you know, how, how is, how is the group that is, you know, not starting in the games? How are you guys keeping yourself kind of focused for these opportunities? And do you think that that group should be getting more opportunities right now, uh, given, you know, where, where the team is in relation to playoffs? Thank
4: you. Uh, yeah. So that group is really young. Um, It has a, a lot of intensity and a lot of competitive fire um every single day in practice and we, we we get along really well we're a good group um, of course we want to play every game but realistically that's just not um that's just not what it, the solution has been um and if I think that we should be playing I mean I don't know I mean I don't think that you could throw like a whole like a group of us out there I think no um I think, you know, we have to do what the coach says. I think the coach makes those decisions for a reason, and he sees practices um, from a different view than we do. Like, when we're on the field, of course, we're going to think that we should play every game, but it's not always the reality. But uh, for sure, this group will will keep fighting, and we'll fight to the last game, even if we're out of it. That group will fight a bunch of uh, competitive guys. All right, thanks, Chad, for your
3: time. Thank you for your questions.
0: sobering um uh...
2: that's about as tough by the way, Jamin, you and Alex ever been in a press conference on and anybody.
3: Let me let me let me tell you why. So look, uh, I've gotten a chance to kind of talk with Jack and and uh be um you know in a in a kind of more personal way with him when we got the chance to do the interview in Vancouver, very giving of his time, um and you know, just a really, really good person, uh, and and everything I've heard about Jack in the organization is he's a super stand-up guy, works as hard as anyone in practice. I think there would be some who think that he's potentially not MLS quality. I would love to see more of him. I thought that maybe he could potentially give us some insight, you know, into the locker room in a in a different way than the starter, uh, you know, which is why I asked that. And I think at this point, asking Cabello that type of Question: You know, he's an interim on his way out. Let's all be honest, right? So, you know, to put that kind of question to Cavello, like, you know, what's what's the culture like? I don't think you're going to get an answer. I actually want to hear that from a player, and someone who's fighting for their spot. And his observation of the leadership, you know, in the club, because you know, I, you know, I mentioned it, mentioned it to you guys in the in the private chat here. You know, in my job and what I do on a day-to-day basis you know, my job is to ascertain what the culture of an organization is. And here's the thing I never do. I don't ask the leaders that question. I go to the people who do the work because that's where the culture is made as to how they're feeling. Couldn't care less what an executive tells me. I don't go ask the SVP of the organization or any of his VPs. They don't they're not going to give me a straight answer and they're going to usually deflect and cover up and they're only going to give you their perspective. And of course, they always think it's great. So it's only when you ask the questions so of the real people doing the grunt work, uh, in this case, someone like a Jack Skayham putting in the work every day that you really get a more honest answer. So that's why I did it. And it's not to pick on Jack because Jack can Jack can take care of himself. Um, it was, it's because like, I felt, uh, the only honest answer we potentially could have gotten is from someone like a Jack Skate.
2: And
1: I think we did get a pretty honest answer, which is that they don't have a coherent team culture and that they don't know how to make this team a winning team that they don't, you know, have a, a solid, uh, mantra, a solid plan, uh, to, to make this team culture better i don't think well, I, I think that's what we're, we're tossing
2: around the word culture a lot and i'm yeah, not I sure say
1: that. exactly i
2: don't know and and, and culture and some expressions like who has the armband are they yelling enough at the defenders or whatever mm-hmm. is that yeah. culture see. culture is more in jamin you can tell me if you see it differently no, but ahead my ahead. understanding of the way you're describing it is it is in all pervasive like how you approach things what i got from jack scan actually was a kind of a, a very different message which is Like, look, we got a lot of hungry people uh, and a lot of them have really good habits. I'm sure in his private moments, maybe they would say, Okay, maybe there's like that guy over there. Isn't that great? But it seems like he's saying in large part, I respect and admire the work of my teammates. That might point to one of two other things being a problem. One, the overall quality of the team just simply not being good enough. And so no matter how hungry they are, they're not going to be good enough. Uh, and then the other one is tactical direction. And Jamin put it in the chat in our little you know host chat here. But the the way you're phrasing it is that culture really changes only when a new way of operating has been shown to succeed over time. The new That's way it. of operating includes like your sleep schedule, your eating, your working out, whatever. But it also includes like what your instructions are on the field. So I think that tactical direction and like training and coach driven things as well. So culture yeah. is not just about how. Like, you know, who the leaders are or like what it is. It's just like, what are the processes? Are the processes working? If so, usually players buy in uh, and and then they can give themselves fully. I really don't like discourse that kind of centers on like, oh, this player doesn't look interested. He looks lazy. Usually to me, that is that is very much the output of a broken system, usually rather than an individual player just not being hungry enough. I think these players are hungry enough in large part. And and Jack and Jack
3: also said, and I'll and I'll pop out here, guys. After this, uh, Jack also, uh, you know, pointed out that he wouldn't throw a bunch of them onto the field either. Um, that he doesn't think like that's necessarily the right way. And I can't remember which one of you mentioned it, but I kind of got from that that he would agree with the philosophy of let's put some people out there that we can mix with and be able to see how it goes. In fact, one of the things that's a little bit disappointing. Is that Benja Kanavich isn't out there with some of those guys because what I really would like to see, because he got he got taken out for Kate Cowell, what I really would have liked to have seen is is someone like him, you know. I think we'd all like to see guys like you know Abobasi and Montero and Espinosa and the guys that you know you know they're putting in the effort out there, right? And you want to see the young guys mix with those guys who you know have a winning mentality and have been in winning teams and know what that should look like. And so I would personally have liked to have seen those guys go out there with a group like that who can kind of like provide that on-field kind of protection a little bit, you know, for them. Like you wouldn't even throw out like a rookie back line. I'm not advocating for throwing Casey Walls out there at, at center back right now, you know, and uh, and starting, you know, Oscar Agra and, and Casey Walls. Um, I don't think that that's helping the team by by doing something you know like that but should agron get a start and casey potentially get a start alongside you know a nathan or alongside a beason yeah absolutely because you need that kind of like anchor there to be able to support it but hey you guys are doing a great job without me so i'm going to get back out of here uh, <laughs> and, uh and you
0: all can keep going i'm Jamie just (laughs) walks
1: in with his flamethrower and
0: then then he's gone. (laughs) Hey, I I wanted to add into the conversation just a bit here because I think we're really quick to talk about how culture has to have a certain outcome. Now, I understand that we're covering competitive sports, right, professional soccer. So, of course, in this case, culture particularly should lend to uh, the team winning more games, and that is a – an example of what a successful culture would look like for the earthquakes. But I think we're also seeing signifiers that there are a lot of other things that are happening in terms of how the players feel about each other and what's happening in the locker room, as Covello mentioned during the press conference. And kind of Benji's, not Benji, but um, Jack Skane's attitude towards some of the other players on the team, especially the young players, I think we are seeing some positives in what is being instilled in the locker room and these guys within their relationships to one another. Unfortunately, it isn't leading to success, and Colin, I think you're right. Um, it could just be a matter of the talent's not quite there to compete with other MLs teams, and that's like a really tragic thing to consider for these guys who are going out there and giving it their all you know every single match and yes, there might be some moments where they have a, their head down or they might uh, have a moment where they're not hustling as much as they were, but I don't know that that's necessarily a lack of desire to compete and to win. I think all of those things are instilled with a lot of these players I'm hearing that in Jack Skein. I'm hearing that in Jeremy Abobasi when he comes and talks, and Christian Espinoza, and the way that these guys talk about each other. So I do want to differentiate between a winning culture and the culture of a team, and uh, what it looks like in terms of their emotional state and how they're playing for each other and uh, for each other as a team.
2: Yeah, and by the way, I'm I've been one of the long-term scan skeptics in terms of his overall level. Um, it, it, one, I think that these two appearances at right back. It's something that I asked you know, asked about actually very early in his career, if that would be the natural home for him uh, in college, he was a right winger, by the way. Um, so this is, a, he's actually got a lot more game time out there um, than uh, on the, in, in a wide position than he does in an essential position. Um, the, and actually he kind of looks pretty good uh, to me. He looks better than Tommy Thompson at that position already. That doesn't necessarily mean that he is like the long-term solution for it, but you know, keep people need to remember that, especially in a salary cap league, you need to choose which positions to invest lots of money in and which ones not to. Right back is a good position to not invest a lot of money in. So if you get the scans and the Paul Maries of the world, who will do a pretty good job for you at those positions, that's usually good enough. Um, and then go invest your money elsewhere. So I, I, was, I was impressed with them tonight. And I've, I've been a long term skeptic. But yeah, Phil, to your point, like culture, culture is like the result of, of good habits and good work and, and good processes put into place. Uh, and starting to bear fruit, and then culture reinforces it, perhaps, but it's kind of at the end of that equation, um, and one part of the issues here might be a lack of talent, the other part might be a lack of uh, of direction, you know, tactically and otherwise, I, you know, yeah. I, I think it's
1: both, I think it's it's also the latter, because we know there are guys that have good habits, this is, I mean, something you said a few minutes ago, Colin, we know there are guys uh, who are putting in the work, who are more than capable of being part of, of winning teams. Jeremy Obobese is the perfect example. Tonight, just want to highlight, put a pin in this. That was a right-footed strike that Jeremy Abobasi put in the back of the net. He is a left-footed player. That was with his weak foot. So Jeremy Obobese, a guy who's extremely high ceiling, he's putting in the work, he knows how to win. He was a part of a Portland Timbers team that demanded a lot from the players. It's just a lack of direction. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have the... Uh, the direction and the focus uh, in order to really have a cohesive uh, plan uh, built around this team. Uh, and you know who's probably noticed that tonight? I think somebody who probably noticed that tonight was Luci Gonzalez, who was watching from the stands at the stadium in Dallas. He was there with Greg Berholter, I think, and, and some other USMNT staff. He's the assistant coach for the US Men's National Team right now. Uh, and a prospective candidate to be San Jose's head coach, and I think the head coaching situation is is worth talking about just for a moment, because if San Jose were going to appoint anybody else, logically they would have done so already. They had a a, a short list of uh, you know five or six candidates that was published by the Athletic, you know, confirmed by a lot of our sources at Quake's Epicenter, that included guys like uh, Ian Russell uh, and. Uh, San Jose have not appointed any of those. Really, the only logical conclusion that can be drawn is that they're holding out for Luchi Gonzalez, who's, who's waiting. Obviously, he's currently with the US Men's National Team. He, he will be with them through the World Cup. Uh, so Luchi Gonzalez uh, most likely is the guy that they're, they're baking on to take over this team next season. And he was watching tonight. Uh, and if I were him, uh, I would have not been pleased with the way San Jose is performing.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, he might not want to be touching this team with a 10-foot pole after seeing uh, exactly what's going on there. I'm seeing a bit of that in the chat as well. Colin, you want to chime in here on this conversation?
2: It can go both ways for a coach. Uh, you know, the uh, Almeida looked at San Jose, which, by the way, was absolutely abominable when he was walking in the front door. Um, and But coaches sign on to, to take over very bad teams uh, all the time, uh, and it just has to do with their faith that they can change it. Some of that might just be that the ego that kind of comes with it. Uh, but for uh, being a head coach, you need to have a certain amount of ego. Uh, but a lot of it also is just in discussions with the front office and management about, you know, some of its literal dollars and cents of like, how much money or am I going to have to spend here? Like, what kind of players are going to br- be able to bring in? Um, I think that Chris Leach would absolutely be able to convince Lucia Gonzalez that he's heading into a good situation, at least with respect to the general manager. I think that that could be a partnership that he could uh, have faith and trust in. He would also need to get over the hill of deciding that John Fisher was somebody that he would want to trust with his career. Um, now, Lucci Gonzalez uh, is is a good coach, but he's not someone who like every MLS team is demanding to like immediately get in the door. So he won't necessarily be able to choose his destination. Um, that gives the Quakes a bit of leverage here. Um, but look, like, yeah, it's not as simple as looking at a bad team and saying, "Oh, I don't want to be there." Coaches take it bad teams all the time. Um, if they're given a long runway and they're given the resources and they believe in the infrastructure they're going into, uh, they'll take it. Uh, and, the, you know, this situation actually, I think, should be attractive to someone.
1: My my main concern here, Colin, though, is, is that if the U.S. men's national team goes to the World Cup and makes a really deep run in this World Cup, which, fingers crossed, we all hope they do, then... Lucha Gonzalez could actually be a, a, a have a really hot hand and be a really hot candidate and 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 be on a lot of shortlists for, for other major league soccer teams and even teams abroad, in which case, if the Quakes don't have a firm agreement with him in place, Chris Leach really could be left in the lurch. Yeah. So that's what right. makes me worried.
2: Not reporting anything. I'm just saying, based on what I know of business world negotiations, if they stopped looking, uh, i.e. they stopped interviewing other candidates, it would only because they had signed something. Uh, I I think that Chris Leach is, and, and I say this as a compliment, is too paranoid to allow that sort of situation to happen.
0: You heard it here first, folks
2: um the other thing by the way so i'm, I'm going to redirect for a second and phil by the way i have a like a roster construction philosophy rant to go on a little bit later so you can you can tell you can tell me when you're emotionally prepared for that and we'll get to that but oh, one okay. little quick thing um about the tactics just based on what alex cavello said in his press conference he said um you know like yeah sure there's things we can do to shore up the defense like you drop the line but when you drop the line you don't get as much pressure um To me, though, that's like, yeah, fair enough. You know, you don't get as much pressure, but, like, you need to drop the line. You know what I mean? Like, everyone agrees that getting pressure is great and having a solid, you know, backline is great. But, you know, sometimes you're going to have to make those concessions. And so, in a weird way, it's like the price is right, where you, like, you drop the line until the audience starts cheering, right? You know, you need to to hit a place where you at least have some – I would rather – I mean, I know I'm a psycho. I would rather have this team grind out zero zero draws the rest of the season than lose, you know, a bunch of five threes. Um, And I I know fans don't agree with me on that. And that's fair enough because it's way more exciting to see those eight goal games. Um, But I would rather see competence and solidity in something that makes sense um I you know Dom Kinnear get him on the line like we need him here for the rest of the season um but the the Colin we're
0: the only two in the room we're the only two (laughs)
2: um (laughs) but you see my you see my point is like absolutely this team could be drilled into being a team that you know concedes fewer goals uh obviously there's consequences to that you know the, the, the attack will look different the goals will have to come exclusively through transition. Although, to be fair, I actually think this team and its personnel is really well set up to be a transition attack kind of team. Um, there's going to be concessions, but I'd rather see that. All right. So, Ben I've, by the way, gone insane implies that I wasn't there before. I've always been like that. Like, we, we
1: have different priorities. I'd rather see those 5 3 games every week uh, for the rest of this season. Uh, I think that realistically, until there's a new coach, there's not much long-term improvement that this defense is is going to be able to make, uh, in which case, I would rather have fun and check off my Earthquakes bingo card every game with my uh, Nathan Howlers and with my uh, Jeremy Abobasi bingo. Hey, hey,
0: Alex, here's one for you really quickly. Uh, during the press conference, I ran the numbers, and it looks like the Earthquakes, the uh l- the most goals they've ever conceded in a season is seventy-one. They're currently at fifty-three right now, and they're That's a
1: that's a great target. That is a great goal that so, they can set so for the rest 18, of this season, Phil. That
0: that same season, Minnesota and Orlando broke the record for most goals conceded in an MLS season. So that all happened is in twenty fifteen. It's twenty eighteen. In 2019, oh, 2019. FC yeah, yeah. Sorry. broke the record with 75. So if you want to shoot really high, 75 goals is the mark. That well, let's see.
1: see. They've allowed 53 so far this season. You're saying 75 is the mark? What is that, 22 goals that they need to allow? They have, how many games? Nine games left. That's only like two and a half goals per game. I think they can get there uh, easy. That's what so I think. They're only 71, though.
0: So there you go. Okay. Um, we'll see what They happens.
2: can do better. Uh, they can absolutely sh- uh, staunch the bleeding anytime they want. It just, to Cavella's point, it will come with consequences. There'll be less pressure, there'll be less goals. I would just rather be able to see that happening. Uh, but I think that if you're Luigi Gonzalez sitting in the stands, and and by the way, you know, Jamin in particular knows a lot of coaches. I talked to some coaches too. And they all look at the Quakes and they say, you know, this is, a, this is a team that's making some pretty elementary tactical errors. Under Almeida, it was like, oh my God, it would be the easiest thing in the world to fix the problems that are here. I think a guy like Lucci would probably see this performance tonight and say like, look, I will drop the line. We'll add a couple of key pieces. We'll become a transition team. And then we'll look better. Um, so I think that they're projecting quite a lot, um, and you know, and they're looking at players like Nathan, and they're seeing a guy who uh, last year looked really strong uh, in a lot of places, and who doesn't right now. And so there's one of two things happening: either and uh, either he's getting worse, or it means he's being put in a bad uh, tactical setups and can be saved by a better coach.
1: Colin, you've warmed me up. I need to hear this rant now. All right, uh, fair Uh, enough.
2: And say
0: this would be a good time for us to kind of round things out. We're at about we're getting close to the hour mark here. This would be a good opportunity, Colin, for you to go ahead and sure. And
2: and by the way, just to knock this one off, just because we, I think people are still asking about the chat. So Alex gave the update earlier about Acapo and Rodriguez and their visa situation. It is just the the U.S. consulates are are backed up around the world, and so visas are proving difficult to get for anybody. Um, I can personally attest to this. Uh, Somebody at my company I'm working with right now to get that. Uh, it's taking a long time uh, for Inge for Acabo in particular, though, there's two fitness issues. His broken foot is still uh, in. He's in the last stages of recover from that. So it might be a little bit before he's fully recovered from that. But then keep in mind, the La Liga season ended in the middle of May. Uh, so he hasn't played for a couple months. It will probably take a little while before he gets fully up to game speed as well. So I would not expect him to be available anytime soon. Rodriguez probably a little bit sooner because the Brazilian season kind of comes through this period of the year. Um, Okay, so roster construction philosophy, I just wanted to kind of it's not that much of a rant, really. But um, I think I hope everybody saw my article a couple of months ago about uh, New England Revolution and the Colorado Rapids and how they construct their teams. Uh, And one of the points that I tried to emphasize with that, and I've analyzed some other teams as well. But with those two in particular, I try to emphasize the fact that homegrowns are not really what any team in MLS is basing their entire roster on. Homegrowns are, you know, can provide a couple of important contributors, like, you know, maybe two or three at most. And it can be an important pipeline for selling players on. Um, But it's not how teams are fundamentally built. FC Dallas, I was actually, I was during the game tonight, I was mostly on my phone looking up players, how they require the mechanisms, whatever, for FCD. uh, Because I was like, wait a second, this team only has one homegrown player that's making a big contribution. That's Jesus Ferreira up top. He's great, you know, and they're going to sell him for a lot of money. Um, But he's the only homegrown player who's making a big contribution. Tumasi and Hedges were through the draft. Farfan, Leggett, and uh, Ariola were through trades from the domestic league. You know, those are other mechanisms that are also domestic. They are not on the high-spending international market. They're not on the mid-spending international market that was like the Jesse Furinelli zone. Um, They're like various forms of internal uh, transactions, and they're – they've had some fcd has had some rough times lately but this ex- roster that they have right now is a great example of how you can build a team based on homegrowns and trades from in, within the league and drafting and then supplement it here and there like uh velasco by the way that kid that kid looks like a real player um so obviously if you can go out and spend a couple million dollars to buy a huge talent you know that's a you know that it's gonna make any team look quite a lot better but the base of the team uh is kind of built Uh, in different ways and obviously Arioli was an internal league trade but he's still you know a DP player so you're still talking about a high level player there Um, but anyway the roster construction that they made there that's where Chris Leach has been heading much more towards that model and away from the Jesse Furinelli model of handing out TAM contracts to guys in middling European leagues obviously that's better it's better than the Almeida model of you know handing out TAM contracts to guys that used to play for me uh, who may or may not be good in this league Uh, and by the way I you know I, I almost hesitate to put him on a blast like this, but the, he did tell me this on the record. One of the sh- most shocking things that Jesse ever told me uh, about roster construction was, you know, I asked him about I was like, look, you got a bunch of attackers who aren't anything at all like each other. You know, they're very different. And to me, that sound, felt like a weakness because it doesn't speak to one system. You have Carlos Firo and Vaco. Who kind of roughly speaking play the same position. You have Chris Wanolowski and Andy Rios, kind of roughly speaking, played the same position. And you could kind of go through it that the roster at the time, I think it's 2020. Um, and and it was just like a bunch of, you know, it's the island of misfit toys. Uh, and he was like, Yeah, we wanna, you know, have lots of different options to, you know, take care of different situations. That's not how to build the team effectively. Good teams are built uh, with some kind of semblance of a structure in mind. That doesn't mean every player offers exactly what the player in front of them in the depth chart offers, but it means both of them can fill the same place in the overall tactical system. They might do it in different ways. You know, Benji Kikanovich is not your typical left winger per se, but he's kind of found a a, a mode that works for him really well. So anyway, those were two things that I was kind of thinking about in terms of roster construction uh, today is Chris Leach is absolutely moving the team more towards a model of, you know, relying on mechanisms beyond just the middle range of the international transfer market, which can be very hit or miss, doing more intra-league transactions, a couple of homegrowns. There's definitely some draftees that are important players to the Quakes. You know, that's good in general. It generally is a higher value. The problem, and by the way, I actually think that if we look back on the leech transactions of his first couple of years, Rodriguez, I'd say, is the one that I'm most skeptical of. One of running into the door, Acapulco is my second most skeptical of walking in the door, and those are the two foreign transactions. Maybe this is my bias, uh, but you know, I think it speaks to the fact that it's hard to get good value on the international market. I think it's worth it when you're spending big for a high-level talent like Velasco, uh, but I think in those kind of middle zones, it can be much t- much touchier than that. Um, but yeah, so so that's one thing, and the other thing is about the system fit. I think that this organization was almost intentionally not buying for a system fit in, in a, in an odd sense for a period of time. Uh, and those consequences were disastrous. Now they're having a chance to build a little bit more towards a particular system, but they need to get tighter on that vision. And obviously that's going to require a new coach. All right, that's
0: it. Let's, let's move over to the the last part of the show here, Alex, I'm going to pass it over to you first uh, and then Colin, I'll give you an opportunity in case there's anything else you wanted to add as well. In addition to the stuff that you just discussed. Um, Alex, your closing thoughts in regards to this match, going into the next match, and any other earthquake stuff you want to present to the listeners and viewers?
1: Uh, I cannot wait for next weekend's match against uh, LAFC uh, because I think it could be uh, a a blowout. I think it could be a disaster for San Jose. uh, And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how Alex Covello lines up the team. Uh, to try to prevent that, to protect the guys on the wings from Gareth Bale's pace. Paul Marie or Tommy Thompson versus Gareth Bale is the scariest matchup that I can possibly imagine in Major League Soccer. Actually, I don't think Gareth Bale plays on the left usually, but I want him to play on the left in this game just to see uh, what would happen if he goes up against Tommy Thompson. But I think that given the sort of uh, options that LAFC have, Upfront, that that Alex Cavelli is really going to have to reconsider how he puts uh, out this team on the field. There was a comment about about Jan Greguš uh, in in somewhere in the, in the comments here a, a few minutes ago. Uh, and look, he's been a ghost; he has disappeared, uh, and uh, he got some minutes tonight, but really didn't make any discernible impact. He's the kind of guy uh, who I think you know his his composure and, and his experience could actually help. In a game like this against LaFC, uh, and so uh, I think I think John Gragush's uh, status is is an open question to me that we could see answered next weekend.
2: All right, Gareth Bale in fall of two thousand nine, excuse me, fall of two thousand ten, when he was playing at Internazionale, um, Mike Con was the Brazilian, probably the best right back in the world at the time, and Gareth Bale cooked him uh, for three goals all from the left wing and a very traditional left wing position because he's a left footer taxi for my con YouTube, that that's what the highlight reel is going to look like if he's matched up against Tommy Thompson again. And this is, this is current day Gareth Bale who doesn't, you know, he's um, well off the pace that he was when he was a 21 year old. So yes, I agree with you, Alex, that's going to be a sight to see for all of us. Um, So hopefully we'll make all of Wales happy uh, just by allowing him to feast. Um, Look, this season's, I've said this impolite or politely before and impolitely now this season's over turn the page if you're a Quakes fan only watch it for developmental purposes but again there is joy in that Um, I hope that the the club is more direct about that uh, with its own coaching staff and I think it's hope that it's more direct about that with its fan base because I quite frankly think that its fans will be more accepting of that um, than continued failure without the clear vision of turning the page other sports do it other fan bases put up with at least temporary pain uh, in the service of the longer term good. Uh, please, please do that. I would also say to John Fisher, look, even if we were planning for 2023, having two signings, one was uh, a free transfer another one, which is a loan of guys who are I think decent, but not necessarily difference making is not the way to do that. Uh, having an aggressive clear out, you know, is needs a lot more funding um, to have the right turnover that you need. So you're not going to be able to do a a major revolution in the team on a shoestring budget. Um, This, this transfer window, I've said this before, the front office has made a lot of good decisions in the micro. You know, i like a lot of the individual transactions they're doing, but if you zoom out and you look at the macro picture, they just still don't have the resources to compete to do their job. So uh, I think that put the right coach in place, you have to really back that coach. And by the way, you might not get that the right coach, if you're not going to back that coach. Uh, and, and that's what's actually going to put you in place for 2023. And by the way, when I say work for 2023, I'm not saying they're going to win the cup next year. I'm just saying that could be a realistic playoff year if you do everything right. But you got to do a lot of investment before you even get to that point. Um, and I think that, therefore, in some ways, setting a better, uh, doing a more coherent reality check is really important. And doing some really painful losing over the summer, like they have been lately, could serve as that reality check for John Fisher about just how far away this team is and how much it needs. And that's not to say that it doesn't have good pieces. It actually does. I think there's a lot of good pieces that you would want to keep on this team, uh, but it should show how much farther you have to go in the areas where it is deficient. And so that's where I'm at. All right.
0: Well, I I do want to thank you, Colin, for bringing in the roster discussion, because I think the last time we had that conversation here on this show, it was between myself, Robert Jonas and uh, Jamin Moore. And so it was great to have your input on that, because I was actually really curious about it, considering the article that you wrote. So speaking of the article, viewers and listeners, uh, make sure you go over to QuakesEpicenter.com, where you can read the wonderfully written articles by Alex Morgan, Colin Etnire, Jamin Moore, Asher Cohn, and Nate Patel and uh and robert jonas and there's a lot of great content there for you to check out you can see the salary spreadsheet that colin put together Um, and a lot of it is uh the information that we currently have and estimated information about what the players are making how much uh tam and gam is available and how many dp slots are being taken or for that matter what types of uh positions the players are taking on the roster
2: Bill, so, can I also highlight that it yeah, also sure. includes expiration dates of contracts such that we know them? And because yeah. I know that there's some people in the chat who are like, oh, what are the transfer market expiration dates? Those are not the real ones. Go to the spreadsheet.
0: There you go. There you go. That's a great point. So don't trust transfer market. Check out Colin Atnara's spreadsheet on Quake's Epicenter. Also, find us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Quakes Epicenter. And I had to also shout out before we leave the Patreon. There is for those of you who are willing to contribute two dollars a month, you can get early access to our articles on QuakesEpicenter.com. There, you see it at the bottom of the screen. If you're willing to contribute just a bit more, you will also get access to some of the uh, evaluative materials for. For the players, like we're talking about video material, then playing for other teams, some of the scouting reports, you can see that for $5 a month. And you will get access to the Quakes Epicenter Patreon Slack, where you can chat with some of our most dedicated members of the Quakes uh, and Epicenter family. F- yeah, go for it, Alex. No,
1: I believe we are almost at 100 members in yeah. the Quakes Epicenter Patreon Slack. So if we get a couple more signups in the next few days, we could cross that threshold uh, and, and hopefully have a little party in there in the in the patron slack.
0: Yeah, so we'd love to have you join us. It's a lot of fun. Uh, last thing, make sure you take a moment to like this um, video. I don't know what you call it. the YouTube thing, video, live feed. Make sure you like it. Make sure you subscribe to our channel. And set up your notifications so that after every match, you can see exactly where you can find us on YouTube so you can follow along with us as we go through the press conference and you can hear all of our analysis of the match. I just want to thank everybody for joining tonight. It's been a lot of fun, regardless of the results, and we will see you soon after the next Quakes match. Have a good night.